the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. righteous who knew no sin became sin for us that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God so Jesus dies for us because of our sin issue and he takes the price and pays the price for us and takes the penalty on our behalf we have to talk about sin because everybody needs to understand there is a problem in the human heart it is an unavoidable topic as we teach through the Bible I can't talk about the cross heaven or forgiveness without talking about the root issue and the root issue is sin this is Cornerstone Connection the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg Virginia Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah it might seem nice at first to only focus on the positive aspects of the gospel like grace forgiveness and heaven but then it would stop being the gospel the whole reason why it's the good news is because there's bad news. We have all sinned. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on the tough topic of sin and how it's something we should all deal with completely in our lives. Jesus died for you, but why did he have to die? He loves you and wanted to pay for your sin so you can spend eternity with him in heaven. Now that's good news. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 3 for part two of today's message titled, Examining Our Gates, Sin. I can tell you something, friends. You do not want to be downwind on a hot summer day from the honey wagon. All right? It stunk terribly. And it had this emulsifier thing in it so it would liquefy all the cow pie. Okay, I know this is not like breakfast or lunch material. But anyways, so he's driving this thing. It's the honey wagon. All right, so he didn't realize it, and we, you know, we didn't tell him in time. But he drove over the plastic bat and the wiffle ball and sucked it up inside the honey wagon. And now it was jammed. And so it wasn't working. It's grinding away. So he gets off. We see him from a distance. He gets off his tractor and he gets, he has to go underneath the honey wagon and he has to reach up in the contraption here and he's unjamming the baseball bat we had put up there and he's just pulling and struggling and pulling and struggling. And when he finally got it dislodged, An avalanche of bovine butterscotch, my friends. I mean, it just completely covered him from head to toe. The whole thing was full. It just completely, you know, it dumped on him. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And so here he is, just completely covered. Needless to say, we never played baseball at the farm again. But that was my experience with dung. 
All right? So when we talk about dung, we're talking about animal manure. But you need to understand that in biblical times, the word dung was even a broader term. It meant animal manure. It meant human excrement. It meant garbage, trash, waste of any kind. That's dung. And there was actually a gate for it. There's a gate for dung. Why? Because you have to remember, transport yourself back to 444 BC. That's the time of Nehemiah. We had the luxury of going to our kitchen, turning on the faucet, you have running water. We go to the bathroom, we do our business, we flush the toilet, it's all good to go. Not in these days. You didn't have the luxury of this. It wasn't until the Roman Empire, the Romans started to perfect an underground sewer system with running water. But in these days, 444 BC, you would go down to the Gihon Spring, if you lived in Jerusalem, take a bucket, load up your water, and take it to your house. That's how you got water there and how would you get rid of all the waste material in your house that you produced you'd put it in a bucket and you take it down to the dung gate hopefully it was a different bucket but you get the point you have one bucket for water and one bucket for waste and you're going down to the dung gate and what they would do was they would just then throw all their waste out the dung gate they throw everything out the dung gate everything from human excrement to your garbage trash and everything that was just complete waste material went through the dung gate now remember from last week's study that there were three valleys that encircles the city of jerusalem still today obviously these are valleys the city of jerusalem is built on the crest of one of the knolls of the hills of mount moriah you have the kidron valley to the east of the city you have the tyropian valley or the central valley to the west of the city and then further west and swinging down to the southern part of the city is the hinnom valley now the hinnom valley is also known as the valley of ben hinnom because it is believed that hinnom was just the name of a man who owned that valley region at one point in time so in the bible sometimes it is called the valley of hinnom sometimes it is called the hinnom valley sometimes it is called the valley of the children now why is it called that please take note this particular valley and if you've been here through our study of first and second kings you will remember what i'm about to say the valley of hinnom has a terrible past in terms of what happened there the most horrible thing that happened in the valley of Hinnom was that during the period of the kings and it started when Solomon was king of Israel Solomon was supposed to be the wisest man but his downfall was that he married hundreds of foreign women the problem with being foreign was not their nationality the problem of being foreign was their spirituality that was the issue because they didn't worship the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and he brings into his palace women who worshiped Chemosh Molech Baal Ashtoreth all these foreign gods and goddesses and in acquiescing to his foreign wives the Bible says that Solomon actually built shrines in the valley of Hinnom and in the worship of Molech and Chemosh the Israelites at the lowest point in their history were sacrificing their children there that's why it's called even today the valley of the children they never want to forget what they did they would sacrifice their kids in the burning fire to the worship of Moloch and Chemosh in the valley of Hinnom the southern part of the city it was a horrible time in Israel's history and it didn't happen only under the watch of Solomon as king it happened at different times through the period of the kings where they would engage in sacrificial worship by offering their children burning them alive in the fire this is unimaginable in fact it was so unimaginable that God said it was unimaginable he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about this listen to Jeremiah 32 35 they built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech though I never commanded nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin 
God says, it didn't even enter my mind. This is a horrible thing. It's detestable, the sin that they're committing. It tells us also in the Bible that this particular place was also known by another Hebrew word, the word tofeth. Tofeth is a Hebrew word, the root word of which means to beat like a drum. Because what they would do is when they would sacrifice their children in the fire, they would beat drums loudly to try to drown out the excruciating cries of the agony of their children. This is horrible. This is Hinnom Valley. This is that place. Josiah, who was one of the good kings, actually made a direct effort to get rid of this kind of child sacrifice. 2 Kings 23.10 says about Josiah that he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire by Molech, or fire to Molech. So Josiah did a good thing, but this was periodically a problem in Israel. They would sacrifice their children in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, just south of the Dung Gate. That's the history and the past of this thing. By the time Nehemiah comes here to Jerusalem in 444 B.C., they're not sacrificing children anymore because when the Israelites were sent off to captivity for 70 years in Babylon, God purged them of that. He purged them of idolatry and paganism and purged them of the need to have a king like the other nations around them. When they would come back to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity, they would never sacrifice children again. They would never worship idols. They would never ask for a king. But when Nehemiah now is governor over this region and he leads the rebuilding process, here's what happens to the Valley of Hinnom. Because it's a place with such a horrible history, this is the place of the sacrifice of our children. This is the place of death and murder and sacrifice. We're going to turn this lower part of the Valley of Hinnom into the city dump. And that's basically what happens. Thus, the dung gate led out to the city dump. And everything that you had that was of waste material, you would take through the dung gate and you would discard it there in the valley of Hinnom. Now, this is interesting because in order to keep disease limited and in order to make sure that the garbage pile just didn't keep growing in this valley, they burned it. And it was continually on fire. The city dump was continually on fire. And I want you to imagine this. I know it's not the prettiest picture, but you have to imagine this to understand the practical truth that I'm about to explain to you here. You have to imagine the sight, the stench, and the smoke that is continually rising from this place. It is vile. It is grotesque, putrefied. This is a horrible thing to think about and behold and smell and the whole deal. Now... Jesus will point to this location as a visual illustration in small part of hell. I want you to leave the book of Nehemiah. I want you to go to the book of Mark in your New Testaments, Mark chapter 9. Matthew and then Mark chapter 9. And I want you to see Jesus referring to this very place and using it as a visual illustration for hell. That's how horrible this particular location was here at the southern part of the city of Jerusalem. Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read starting at verse 43 to 48. These are the words of Jesus. He's going to mention hell in these verses three times, okay? And we're going to define here what he means when he talks about it. So in Mark 9, 43, he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Notice that. Same similarity to the Valley of Hinnom. 
Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, now if you have a King James Bible, it uses that last phrase three different times. Every time Jesus mentions hell, he talks about then how the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. In the NIV, it only appears once at the end of verse 48. But it's, it's the same message. And he's using the city dump to compare with the horrific conditions of hell. He says, just like that, there's going to be some parts of the city dump where maggots and flies are doing their thing, other parts where it's on fire continually. It's a combination of the worm that never dies and the fire that is never quenched. He says, I want you to understand this is like hell. Now, please note with me his drastic language here. What is this whole part about cutting off limbs and gouging out eyes? Please relax, okay? He's not talking literally. He's not talking literally. If he were talking literally, we'd all be walking in here with prosthetics and eye patches, all right? We'd all be looking like pirates. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean literally start doing these things. But he's using drastic language to communicate a strong point. And here's his point. You better deal seriously with sin. Not literally, but you better deal seriously with it. Because heaven and hell hangs in the balance. You better deal with sin seriously in your life. And so he refers to hell here. Now check this out. There are 12 times that Jesus uses the word hell through the Gospels. And by the way, in the Gospel of John, he never mentions the word hell. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he mentions the word hell 12 times. 11 out of 12 times, including all the times we just read here in Mark 9, 11 out of the 12 times, he uses this word, Gehenna, the word for hell. It is from the Hebrew, Gehinom which translates the Valley of Hinnom. That's how we know that he's pointing to the city dump and he's comparing it in small part. Here's a tiny picture of what hell is like. Folks, we need to realize hell is real. It is not a fable. It is not a figment of our imagination. Hell is real. And it is described in the Bible as a place of torment, a place of suffering, a place of fire. It is a place of outer darkness. It is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That describes the excruciating suffering component to it. Hell is real. And Jesus is warning people. Listen, hell is going to be, unfortunately, a real place for people unless they deal with sin. Unless they deal with sin. So now when you put all this together, the whole idea of the city dump and the dung gate, and Jesus referring to the city dump as a small picture of hell perpetually on fire, the worm that never dies. Because, by the way, you don't get annihilated in hell. It's a perpetual place of suffering, just like the worm that never dies. So all of this language and stuff is very figurative, but very expressive about a real thing. And therefore, when we consider the dung gate, here's the application for us in modern terms. It represents everything that is filthy. It represents everything that is filthy. So the dung gate for us is a picture of the very thing that leads, that opens up to the valley of Hinnom, that opens up to Gehenna. What is the door that leads to hell? It's sin. The dung gate reminds us of the filthiness of our own lives. It reminds us of sin. And here's the thing. We must continue to deal with sin in our own lives personally and address sin in the life of the church corporately. Now, let me start with that last one first, and then we'll circle back to dealing with it personally. What does it mean to deal with the sin in the life of the church corporately? This, this is what I mean by that. I 
out of necessity, have to continue to talk about sin as I teach through the Bible because sin is mentioned all through the Bible as being the human condition that causes us to be separate from God, to not have relationship with Him, and the ultimate thing that if it's not dealt with will cause us to die of, to be eternally separated from God and end up in hell. This is why Jesus was talking about it. Deal with the sin issues. And so here at church, we will continue to deal with sin issues. It comes up from time to time because it's all through the Bible. God's assessment of the human condition is that we're sinners. We're sinners from birth and we sin by nature from birth we are all sinful people and we're all dying of the same fatal disease and there's one remedy and that remedy is jesus christ who died on a cross for our sins to deal with the punishment of our sins the righteous who knew no sin became sin for us that in christ we might become the righteousness of god so jesus dies for us because of our sin issue And he takes the price and pays the price for us and takes the penalty on our behalf. We have to talk about sin because everybody needs to understand there is a problem in the human heart. It is an unavoidable topic as we teach through the Bible. I can't talk about the cross, heaven, or forgiveness without talking about the root issue. And the root issue is sin. Now, unfortunately, I hear from folks from time to time that it seems... I don't get out much to other churches because I'm here with you. But it seems, from what I hear, that some churches are trending further and further away from dealing with the sin issues. And the teaching is more about coping mechanisms. They want to help you cope and manage your family and your children and your money and your marriage as if the goal is happiness. Let me tell you something. The goal of the Christian life is not happiness. It is holiness. But understand this. The more I pursue holiness, then I will experience happiness. But if I pursue happiness, I will never experience holiness. You can tweet that, friends. That was good right there. I was on a roll. I was rolling right there. I was rolling right there. Listen to me on this. Listen, if you just pursue happiness, you're going to do whatever you jolly well want to do. That's not a pursuing a life of holiness because in pursuing happiness, I just want to do what I want to do. But holiness means I want to do what God wants to do. And I want to acknowledge what his standard of right and wrong is. And I want to live my life so that it's pleasing to him. This is a sin issue. Listen, that affects all of us. The sin issue is not just something for those unchurched people, those sinners that are outside the church. That's where you need to be really preaching this, Pastor Gary. We don't need to hear a conversation about sin. That's not us. We're saved. We're born again, going to heaven, blood bought. (laughs) Oh, you Baptists were trending with me right there, right there, weren't you? (laughs) Let me tell you something. Sin is a sin issue outside the church and inside the church. I don't know why it is lately that I have been hearing, you know, and I read this guy who wrote this blog yesterday. It was just ridiculous. There's this mindset among Christians today that, listen, I don't need to confess my sin to God anymore. I don't need to say I'm sorry to God for anything because, you know, even though I still have struggles or whatever, I confessed my sin when I got saved. And now I just want to walk in the identity of Christ, and I don't need to say I'm sorry to God for anything anymore. And I'm reading this blog that this guy wrote, and I thought, he must not be married. If you think you're one and done, you're sadly mistaken. I mean, you don't treat marriage like that. Why do you treat God like that? Can you imagine getting up on your wedding day and exchanging vows with your husband or your wife? I promise to love you and honor you in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, richer, or poor, till death do us part. And right now, I just want to apologize for everything I'm going to say in the future, and now I'm done. I mean, that would be awesome, but it doesn't work that way. 
Because why? Because you love the person enough that you want to stay in right relationships. So if you love God enough, this is not about confessing sin so that you can get saved all over again. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, confessing sin because, you know, I had a bad thought and now I'm going to go to hell. I'm saying that we need to do what is right so we can be in right relationship with God, walking in the holiness that he calls us to. In 1 Peter chapter 1, listen to this. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, the topic of holiness is a little tricky because holiness, the Bible presents to us as a position. You know, we are made holy because of our relationship with Christ. So positionally, he makes us holy. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? It is a position that is imputed to us. But it is not just a position. It is also a practice. And the Bible tells us to be holy, to act holy, to live a holy life. Because why? Because God is holy. See, I want to pursue holiness not because I'm worried about hanging on to my salvation. I want to pursue holiness because I love God and I just want to please him. Because I want to do what is right so I can honor him. And the only way that we're going to do what is right to honor him is if we deal with, so to speak, the dung gate of our heart. If we deal with the filth and the garbage and the mess of our lives and we say, here, God, thank you for dying on a cross for me. I need to get right with you. I need to confess this as sin. And so when we go through the Bible, we will talk about sin issues. We will talk about lust. We will talk about sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. We will talk about adultery, sex outside of marriage. We will talk about greed and envy and jealousy and bitterness and gossip and pride. And if I didn't mention yours, I'll get to it at some point through the course of the Bible. (laughs) And listen, and if you think it's hard to hear it, it's even harder to preach it because you got to live it too. But I'm just saying to you that in the course of going through the Bible, we will deal with all kinds of sin issues. And here's the deal. We have to be people who are willing to say, yes, Lord, I hear that. I see that. And I want to respond to that conviction. And I just, I thank you for your love and your mercy towards me. I just want to confess this as sin so that we are constantly in a place of confession and walking in holiness before God. Everybody understand this? This is important for us. We don't want just like a country club. Everybody comes, has a good time, fellowship, sings songs, gets a cup of coffee, fights on your way out because you got traffic to deal with and lose your salvation on the way home. <laughs> we we want to be a place that deals honestly with the human heart and the human condition. That says, yes, Lord, I understand and I see the way that you assess the human heart. I see the depravity of my own human heart. I want it to always be in check, and I want my account with the Lord to be short. I want it to be short. But I don't want undone business. I want it to be short. David said in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5, he said, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Blessed is that man or that woman. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What's he talking about? When I didn't confess this stuff and I just kind of kept it all to myself, it was heavy on me. You know what that's like? The guilt can weigh on you. He says, my bones felt like they were crushing. He said, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then 
I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my transgressions before you and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's what he does for us. But we have to humble ourselves and come to that place. Nehemiah faced a daunting task of leading one of the waves of returning exiles and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The work was hard and slow and filled with setbacks and struggles, including enemies who came up against them. The great thing about Nehemiah was that he wasn't a priest and he wasn't a Levite. In fact, he wasn't in professional ministry in any way. You may not be a pastor, but God can use your experience and willingness all the same. Who knows what amazing things he may have in store for you if you'll open yourself to his leading and step out in faith. You have a great journey awaiting you. Just ask God to open your eyes to his plan. We'd love to pray for you along this journey, too. Are you facing a difficult situation? Call us and share your prayer requests at 703-771-1500. To hear more great messages from Pastor Gary Hamrick, look us up online at cornerstoneconnection.cc or subscribe to our podcast. You can also take Cornerstone Connection with you on our mobile app to listen to whenever and wherever you are. That's it for today. We pray you continue to seek God in your everyday experiences and that you feel His presence in your life today. Be sure to tune in again for another exciting edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.